Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Let's hear the word of God as it's recorded in 1 Peter 2, 13 to 3, 12. It's a long section, but I really want you to get the feel for the flow of this whole section. So enter into it as we go through it. As I said, this is the word of God, and it's eternally true. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed." For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding Now, what on earth are they doing putting that word merely in there? You know that words put in in italics were not in the original text, right? And isn't it such a relief to know that our to know that, that women, all right, should not let their adornment be merely, merely. In other words, you can go ahead and adorn yourself in your externals as long as you also remember to adorn yourself in your internals. But that doesn't merely put you in the pressure cooker you need to be in as women because you know men like to look at you. And it's nice to help it along a little bit. Come on, admit it, women. 
And so the translators are very sweet to us. They take us out of the dilemma. We just need to hear that it's, it's a relative emphasis, you know. Don't merely, but look at the text, because the text shows you that actually the Holy Spirit didn't intend for the word merely to be there. Okay? Here's what it actually says. Your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, semicolon, now that's added. It might be more helpful to have an M dash there so that you go into the examples of particular that you're told to avoid because then what you end up seeing is if it says your adornment must not be external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious and safe. In other words, well, you, you all understand what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is telling women not to focus on their external adornment, but their internal adornment. And the Holy Spirit doesn't feel a need to explain to you that actually it would be okay if you brushed your hair. You know, they treat us like children. They think that we have to have spoon-fed to us what the text of the Holy Spirit says. We don't need the Holy Spirit's text to be helped along by the word merely there. It's okay to put us on the horns of a dilemma so that we have to look at ourselves and decide whether it's the adornment of the external or the adornment of the internal that we focus on. That's helpful that the Holy Spirit does that to us. Because then it might cause you to look at how much time you spend with makeup and eyeliner and buying this and that kind of shampoo and conditioner and going to the hairdressers and some of you going to the thing with the feet people and others the hand people and going to the gym and, oh my goodness. And then you compare it to the amount of time you give Tim Bailey to preach to you on Sunday morning. Because after all, who else is going to tell you to have a gentle and quiet spirit with a lousy husband? Now that might be helpful. But once a year we get it on Mother's Day. And then the rest of the year we got the manicure and the pedicure and we got the gym and we got the this and that and the other thing and the other thing. You, got, you do your colors, I'll do my colors. And, and Merely, don't let it be merely. <laughs> Make sure you, you keep up your good appearance. But give a little time, you know, affirmative action for the inward heart. Okay, I'll stop. In heaven, there will be a real Bible where people are not pandering to us and flattering us when they translate it. Okay, I'm back. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Does anybody care anymore what's precious in the sight of God? Anybody? Huh? Anybody live for God here? Instead of yourself? Huh? For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, 
calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And then notice it says, you husbands, so now we're moving again, and it says what? It says, in the same way. That seems like a non sequitur, doesn't it? Where does the in the same way come from? You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, it makes sense to cut off the text here, but watch what happens here, okay? You've gone through this, right? You've gone through the king, right? You're, you're with me. You've gone through the slave and the boss, the master. You've gone to the wife. You've gone to the husband. The children are left out in this particular occurrence. But all of these ordered relationships end up with one of the people being told that you better live right with the person that submits to you, or what? Your prayers are going to be hindered. And then he sums it all up. To sum it all up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing for The one who desires life to live and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who are evil, who do evil. And so we return to the theme of who gets their prayers heard, right? You see, that's what binds it together. He ends up saying that evil people, their prayers aren't heard. God's face is opposed to those who do not do good. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart here be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's go back up to the beginning. I want you to feel the uh, I want you to feel the infrastructure, to feel the backbone of, of this whole section. It starts by saying, "Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution." You remember the arguments about Ephesians, where everybody says it says, "Submit to one another in the Lord." And so the wife is to submit to the husband, and the husband is to submit to the wife. That is an absolute lie. It's ludicrous. It doesn't make sense grammatically. It doesn't make sense logically. And it's directly contrary to Scripture. In Ephesians, it's not saying husbands and wives are both to submit to each other in the same way. Okay? What it's saying is, look, in the order of life, all of us are called by God to observe the particular calling that God has given us. In the ordered universe that God has created, all of us are called to honor the particularities of our creation. Okay? Okay, can I say it? Is it okay? Okay. Okay, y'all? y'all? Okay, okay. We're going to hit some turbulence. Fasten your safety belt. Thank you, John. So what is your calling? 
and immediately everybody just trots out these facile, inane, stupid things. Well, I'm to be a Christian person. You know, I am to be an individual with integrity. I am to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I am to have faith. I am, I am to be... Uh, uh, I am to be all I'm meant to be. I am to use my gifts for the good of the church. You know? I am to be a theologian. And of course, what they all have in common is there's no sex. It's all gender neutral. A person of faith. I am a spiritual person. And so all of you, all the time during the week, are confessing your faith is androgynous because you never talk about men anymore. You just talk about human beings. Humans. This is pathetic. The world has conformed you to its pattern. And they start with your language. Uh, You still there? What did Jesus say? Jesus said what? He said from the beginning, he made them male and female. And then it says he named the race Adam, which a good translation is man. He named them by the male. And yet here we are all falling all over ourselves to avoid ever thinking sex-specific thoughts. And how on earth is a wife and a mother ever to be happy when her husband is avoiding sex-specific thoughts? We have to get over having sex mean physical expressions of affection or of lust. Sex has a lot more meaning than physical intimacy. From the beginning, God made them male and female. And male and female is from the moment of conception. And it is an assignment that you have from God that you are to obey. Okay? This is not complicated. God made you woman. You are to be a woman. You know? Right? God made you a man. You're to be a man. God made you a man, and therefore you're not to be a womanly man. God made you a woman, and therefore you're not to be a butch woman. You're not to be a hard woman. You're not to be a soft man. Why? Well, because variety is the spice of life. And why everybody's hand-wringing about the loss of a thousand species of one little brand of spider in in, in the rainforest, but they don't mind obliterating the beauty of man and woman, which is the crown of God's creation, is beyond me. This is pathetic. Here's an idea. Why don't we maximize what God has done? Why don't we try to be as womanly women and as manly men as we can be? And you say, oh, yeah, that means that, you know, that every man's going to, like, you know, lift weights and shoot deer. It's like, would you grow up honestly? What a pathetic view of sexuality you have. You think all it has to do is men lifting weights and shooting deer? How about this? How about if it means that a man works hard so that his wife can raise the children? Oh! Do you know 
how many women would be delighted to be able to come back home? Come on, let's be honest. Let's talk turkey here. Do you know how many women really don't like having a muckety-muck position in the business world? Now, I'm dancing around an issue. And I'm trying to get you to see that God is dealing with us in a way that puts on a parallel plane the different offices we all possess. Some of us are rich. Some of us are poor. Some of us are educated. Some of us are uneducated. Some of us are born in the South, some in the North. Some are American citizens. Some are Chinese citizens. Some are men. Some are women. Some are rulers. Some are those who are ruled. Some are slaves. Some are masters. Some are children. Some are parents. Some are the sheep in the church. Some are shepherds. In every one of these areas, there is a calling that goes with what God has, has, has given us as our dispensations. And we are to fulfill those callings faithfully because they've been given us by God. And so rich men are supposed to study how to be godly rich men. They're not supposed to study how to be godly poor men. They're not supposed to study how to act as if they don't have any money. Because that's to deny. And women are not supposed to act as if they're not weak. I've spent my life trying to teach the very thing that is taught here in Scripture, and immediately you say something about women being weak. And men, not even women, men will say, well, are you saying that every woman is weaker than every man? And, you know, I want to say to him, yeah, that's what I'm saying. What a stupid question. I know there's a lot of women who at this point in my pathetic life could whoop me. (laughs) Come on. You think I'm an idiot? So then they say, well, weak in what way? And you know what I always say at that point? I always say, I don't know, I'm scared. No, that's not what I say. I see somebody being a, being a pathetic, faithless Christian man, and I go for the jugular. And I say, well, why don't you tell me what weak means for a woman? You know, you're so smart. Okay, fine. I admit I can't help out on this thing, so why don't you help me? And of course, you know that they can't help you. And they won't help you. Because they have no desire to honor God. They have no desire to live with women in an understanding way. You know that the world is filled with men who conspire with women to deny that they're the weaker vessel. Why? Because they despise women. That's the reason. And I know that's confusing to you. But the secret that men know is that men who are feminists are men who despise women. And they manipulate the heck out of women by acting like a feminist. Whereas the man who's straightforward and dead ahead 
in living in an understanding way with women is completely vulnerable to every single insult that this world has to give. Why do you think men are feminists? Do you think... Let's go to Africa for a second. Do you think men in Africa actually think women are just as strong as men? No. And so when the U.S. goes over there, what do they do? Well, the U.S. goes over there, and it brings a lot of money in, the, in microfinance. And what, 90 95% of the microfinance money goes to the women of Africa. Why? Because they know that when a woman is given money, she will actually start a business and make money. And then they assure themselves that that will put the children in less jeopardy. Nobody has any idea around the world of going for the men so that the women are safe, are protected, are honored. And so American missions has, been, has become the exporting of feminism around the world. And it's because they think that's the only way they can protect women is educate them, have them abort, have them have fewer children, have them use birth control, educate them. Oh, did I mention educate them? Give them money, have them start businesses, and guess what? We reproduce in the United States of America. Who do you think it is in world history who has honored women? There's only been one people group in the world who has ever honored women, and that's the people of God. Because we know that in the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And we know that every single woman is absolutely equal to every single man. There's no condescension, there's no demeaning, there is no disgust. Men who are Christians never look down on a woman. They may stoop to talk to her because she's shorter. They may lower their voice so that they don't intimidate her. They may explain themselves in a way they wouldn't with their children. Because I said so, that's why. But when it comes to their wife, they may explain because she may be fearful that he doesn't have the end goal in mind. That he's just angry or hangry. We live in an understanding way. Because why? She is the weaker vessel. And then it says what? Well, it's just sort of a statement of fact. She's a woman. Uh, weaker vessel. She's a woman. Weaker parallel construction. Weaker vessel. Woman. Woman. Weaker. 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 Okay. And listen, if you can't respond to that statement with equanimity, it's because you're a worldling. It is the glory of woman to be what? To be the glory of man. It is the glory of man to have his wife be his glory. Do you know what the old guys say about this text? They say that the man who lives with his wife in an understanding way protects her glory. Why? 
because it is his glory. In other words, the way to get respect as a man is, is not actually bling. Every single man on the face of the earth is disgusted by men with bling. I mean, how many of us, when we see a guy my age with his shirt open and hair and gold things and driving a convertible? It's so pathetic. What it shows is that man has no glory. And so he thinks he can buy it. You know, he can get jewelry, he can get a car, he can like wear his pants halfway down his bottom. And all those things show men is that these men have no glory. They have no weight. They have no gravitas. And so they're buying, buying, buying things and trying somehow to fill the emptiness inside of them because they have no fear for God and they have no love for woman. And so they think if I dress myself up and, and I'm vain and I, I, you know, I, I'm like, you know, then maybe people will pay attention to me. But, you know, honestly, that's what women are supposed to do. Not merely, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, I mean, God has made women beautiful. Have any of you men ever seen an ugly woman? It's impossible. I know you don't think I'm speaking the truth, but you talk to men when women aren't around, and women are beautiful to men. Sue generis categorically. Why? Because they're women. And so men who try to be beautiful are pathetic because they're robbing women of the glory that God has given them. And men love that glory because it's their glory, their own glory. The man is the glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. Live with that woman in an understanding way because she is the weaker vessel. She is woman, you know. I love that parallel construction. After all, that's what she is. She'd be a woman. And so it's not she is uh, ancient patriarchal world woman. It's not she is Roman Empire woman. It's not she is 2,000 years ago before we have progressed so much woman. No, it's woman. And until we die... And until our great-great-grandchildren die, the nature of manhood and womanhood will be exactly the same. We can try everything we want to eviscerate the meaning of womanhood from this world. We can make men into women. We can make women into men. But woman is woman, and the more she tries to squelch it, the more obvious it is that what defines her life is her attempt to not be who she is. Does this make sense to you? You know, she's just shouting, I am that woman! And everybody acts as if they don't see it. Yikes. Come on, people. It is immodest. And you know what immodest means? It means ugly. It is not pretty when a man acts like a woman and dresses like one, and it is not pretty when a woman acts like a man and dresses like one. It is an assault on the public space. Why? 
It's the same sort of thing as if you had a judge come out of the bench and he just wanted to be one of the guys. And so when the plaintiff came forward and the defense attorney and all this other stuff, he were to just go down and say, hey, how about if we all sit cross-legged on the floor? And everybody in the court would go, oh, no, get back up on the bench. Right? And that's what it's like when women try to squelch their femininity. It's horrible. And it's what it's like when men try to squelch their masculinity. It is an assault upon the order of creation that God has made because from the beginning he made them male and female. Do you understand this? And I am not saying anything about the childhood of some of these men that leads them to be so sick. What I'm saying something against is those of us who treat people who are sick and are polluting the public spaces as if they're well and we don't see what's going on. Come on. Now, you say, well, how am I supposed to treat them? And I would say, you better be sitting there gnashing your teeth. You better be sitting there trying not to look at them. If somebody was across from you naked, would you try to act as if there was nothing wrong? No, it's immodest. What is immodesty? Listen, we can be understanding of those who are weak and yet not allow their assault upon God's order of creation to take us captive and mold us. Do you understand this? And when all of us try to act as if this kind of thing is normal and we're so magnanimous and so tolerant and this is, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And I say, no, no. This whole section says they will know you're Christians by your submission. If your husband does not honor the word, how are you to win him? If your boss is a lousy boss, how are you to win him? By submission. We never think of submission to bad authority as being evangelistic. But you know, there's nothing more beautiful than a wife who submits to a Nabal of a husband. It's unbelievably pleading to people to come to God. It's unbelievably beautiful because that woman is not living in fear. She has entrusted herself to God. And that in time, Nabal will repent or what? Die. And then she'll be married to King David. In other words, when we submit to judges, to bosses, to husbands, to parents, what we're doing is we're declaring that we want God to be the audience that we live for. And Christians will see us and they will honor us. If you want people to respect you, you submit to authority, especially when it's bad. And the whole world will envy you. And so what, what are a few more applications? Well, 
Number one, you women who have a husband who looks at pornography, who is just always angry, who doesn't work as hard as he should, who is more concerned about how he dresses than the money he gives his wife to allow her to buy clothing for herself and the children. In other words, you women with husbands who have serious sins, live with him in submission. That's what the text says. He's not honoring the word. And you know something? It's amazing how often your submission to a sinful husband will bring him to repentance. Okay, does that make sense to you? It's what God says. Win him. It's not your job to sanctify your husband by your rebellion. I mean, it's kind of funny if you think about it. I think I'll, I think I'll sanctify my husband by giving him a nasty look and by leading the children to rebel against him. I think that's how I'm going to help my husband grow in godliness and holiness today. I'm going to make it clear to my children what an ass their father is. Oh, come on. Do you really think you have to work at showing that to your children? Do you really think your children don't know what a you-know-what-he-is? <laughs> you know, kids know it before the wife knows it, right? Here's an idea. Try to be submissive. Why? Well, because the Bible tells you to. Am I just a hard nose in saying that? No, actually, I feel the indignity of your existence. You know, if you ask the pastors here, they can pretty well tell you which husbands are a real pain. <laughs> you know, right? And you know one of the things that pastors and elders do to live with the women of this church in an understanding way is the weaker vessel because she is a woman? You know one of the things we do? Do you know that we don't confront women in this church? Have you ever realized that? confront women. Who confronts women? Well, we're supposed to live with them in an understanding way as the weaker vessel, and it would be a little over the top for the elders and the pastors to rebuke women, right? Because they're the weaker vessel, right? And you don't want to overwhelm women, right? And so who does the rebuking in a healthy church of the women of the church? Well, hopefully the husband, but that falls down a lot of times. And so then who does the rebuking? I want to hear you. Who, Joni? That's right. That's right, sweetie. That's right. Other women. Older women teach younger women. And so we do work hard at trying to have a church where men do not rebuke women. It's unseemly. Now, it is true that some of you... (laughs) Uh, I do remember rebuking. So how should you live with your wife in an understanding way? Think about her glory and protect it. Maximize it. Talk about her glory all the time to your children. Mother's Day is a wonderful day to do that. 
Then another way you do it is by defending. And this is all out of this, the commentaries that I've read, okay? So I'm not making this up. This, this isn't me. This is men who really know what they're talking about, okay? They say the way you do this is by defending your wife's authority. Now think about that. Isn't that interesting that in a section where it's telling women to submit, it says to the men, if you're going to live with her in an understanding way, you must defend her authority. Now, where would a woman have authority? Well, for one, in the marriage bed, the wife has authority over her husband's body. And so in the matter of pornography, in the matter of lust, you actually have authority over your husband's. So husbands, part of you living with her in an understanding way is you defending her authority to tell you no. Okay? All right. Second, for heaven's sakes, bring order to your home. And I have a story I like to tell about this, which is one day I came home in Partyville, walked in the door in the kitchen, and it was bedlam. The noise, the demanding, the pulling on Mary Lee's, you know, skirt, that she was trying to fix dinner, and it was bedlam. And I walk in, and I don't go back to the bedroom to change my clothes. I don't go into the bathroom. I don't go to the living room and sit down and, and, and look at my, my iPhone. I don't go over and kiss my wife and ask her what kind of a day she's having. <laughs> what does a man, a father and husband, do in that moment? What he does is he says, Stop! All of you, stop now. And guess what? It all stops. This home was aching for a man. And he doesn't care what she feels about what he just said to the children. Because what he knows is this is disorder, disharmony. This is not things meshing together. And so he puts a stop to it. And you know what she says then as soon as he does that? She goes, oh. And then she says something like, I didn't know that was possible. What you're doing is you're defending her authority. You are telling the children that it is unacceptable for them to be treating their mother in the way she is. Now, you say, no, that's not what you said. You just said, stop. I say, oh, yeah, but kids really can read between the lines, actually. They know you're not pleased with the harassment they were giving their mother, with the volubility, with the volume, with the intensity, with the impatience, with just the utter mayhem in that room. And they know that the next time you come home, there better not be that kind of pressure on their mother because you won't stand for it. She will. Women will stand for it. (laughs) In other words, there are certain women who before the man says stop, the woman will say stop, right? We all know them. But generally, it's the husband's job to protect his wife's authority over the children. Okay? And so you ever hear your son speaking to your wife with disrespect? Can I please tell you, if you ever want to see me mad, 
okay, ever, you just have a little boy fight or speak disrespectful to his mother in front of me. Any of you seen it? I come unhinged. I have the sneaking suspicion that God did not intend little brat boys to be mean to their mothers. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy in the modern world. Okay. Can we all say Happy Mother's Day? Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful uh, women that you have given us who are not ashamed of their calling to be a woman. We pray, Lord, that you will lead to repentance all those of us who are tempted to forsake our sexuality. We pray that you will give our children a love for who you have made them to be, man and woman. We thank you for all those here who have opened themselves up to being the subject of condescension and to being despised by giving birth to children. Comfort their hearts. Give them husbands who honor them constantly and point to this as their glory. And we pray, Lord, that we will be evangelistic through our submission to every authority that you have established. Father, we love you. We thank you for your fatherhood. And we pray that we will do it good service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.